Batman. Welcome to Team Death. I like <laughs> to think I'm an approachable boss. I don't suffer fools gladly, but my door is always open. <laughs> Obviously, the person you expect to appear if someone gets shot in the back would be Death. But that's not going to happen because Death is currently still in uh, Pork, uh, trying his hand at gambling. Happy reading. <laughs> Hello and welcome to part two of Shark with Royal's coverage of Terry Pratchett's Mort. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we are going to be flying through pretty much another third of this book. How, how, how do you really describe this kind of book? Because it's, it is a, it's a sort of a classic fantasy novel, but in a sort of comedy way. I always find it hard to just sum up exactly what Terry Pratchett's all about. Yeah, I would say it's comic fantasy, but better than that sounds. Because it's yeah. what it really is. It's like, you know, there's this sort of deep humanism and the characters are really real and the jokes are really funny and the whole undertone of it is great and, and philosophical and playful and everything but basically yes it's a book set in a world where death is a real person who wears a cowl and walks around with a scythe and um and, and there are jokes in it hmm. now when we last left mort 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 the the name of the book mort is is the the character uh, this this lad this uh, teenage boy who has been taken on as an apprentice by Death. And when we last left it, Death had given Mort a few jobs to do, which basically means, you know, killing a few people. Or he makes a distinction, Death. He doesn't do the killing. He just sort of takes over once people are dying. So Mort's got to go and scythe down a couple of people. And uh, in the meantime, Death's sort of doing his own thing for a bit. So the problem is, the problem we've got, the cliffhanger we left it on, was that Mort, one of Mort's jobs was to kill this princess and he didn't want to do that so he actually saved her life instead and now Mort returns to Casa Death as as it is known by anybody and uh, he goes death. <laughs> that's sort of implied death wearing like a sombrero and just kind of going hey Casa Death come in have some sangria I think it works because the um, sort of you know uh, Central American uh Spanish-speaking nations do have a massive festival around death, don't they? That's so I'd imagine, true. You know, <laughs> Ca- Casa del Muerto, the Muerto. Casa del Muerto. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So um, Mort returns there, and he, he he goes into this room. There are a couple of really interesting rooms in in, in Casa Death. There's a uh, there's the room of uh, time. Uh, what are they called? Um, oh God, what's it? Sign- hourglasses. Yeah. Where uh, there's this ro- there's this room of hourglasses where you can sort of hear this rushing of of sand as, as every single hourglass is related to a person whose life's draining away. And then there's also the library where you hear this continuous scratching because uh, there's obviously thousands and thousands of books and each book is someone's life and it's their biography just being written. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in here, he has a look at the biography of uh, the princess, Kelly, assuming that she, you know, uh, things will have gone on now and um, and she's survived, and the biography is carrying on along the lines as as if she has died. Mm. So it's saying she, you know, she died at this age, and then the duke took over. So there's a real sense suddenly that the the world's kind of tilting of its axis a bit here, and Mort really has 
change something and knock something out of sync and there's going to be consequences. Very much. And I particularly like your use of that metaphor there because the disc world as a disc, if it tilts off its axis, that gives you the idea of like, do you know if you ever drop a tea tray, just everything sort of <laughs> sliding off to one side? <laughs> Mountains, yeah. rivers, you know, everything just sort of sliding off into space with a single echoing cry of, oh, bugger. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mort. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Mort, dropping the tea tray of reality on the <laughs> tile floor of time. I don't know. <laughs> um, Mort makes another discovery while he's in here as well, and it's um, a damp lace handkerchief. He hears running footsteps running away from the uh, the library. So somebody's oh. in there, um, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like they've been having a good cry over some of the books. Which is a mini mystery. There is a mini mystery. I, I have, <laughs> I have to say that there were lots of other places that you could have gone with a damp hanky being found next to a large pile <laughs> of what turned out to be romantic novels. <laughs> and I think it's to your credit that you didn't make any of those jokes. Well done, indeed. <laughs> Truly, you are the conscience of this podcast. <laughs> uh, we we return to uh, Stolat, which is where um, the Princess Kelly uh, actually uh, lives still still alive um mm. but it, even though she's alive it seems like she's dead because people are still doing things that they would normally do if she was dead so the flags flying at half mast there are dogs howling all over the place uh, the black <laughs> funeral horses are, are getting restless and everybody's sort of going around thinking that she's died but not really knowing why they're thinking that and then yeah. being really surprised when she keeps turning up yeah. So I quite like this idea of of sort of the world inevitably going a certain way, and yeah. if 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 something doesn't happen that was supposed to happen, it just it's like I said before, it's like things being knocked out of sync. Everything just just doesn't seem to be working properly. Yeah, very much. And um, I I particularly like it because it's kind of a way of making a world like that's like run by fate, basically that's completely predetermined somehow dramatic as well and i think that's because most stories that we have where kind of time becomes a almost a character in itself um they're all about you know the human desire to break free and exercise free will in the face of an indifferent universe and and terry pratchett clearly just doesn't have that that worldview at all he's like no what's going to happen is going to happen on we go Mm. um and and actually manages to get a good amount of sort of dramatic uh dramatic distance out of that and I, i quite enjoyed the sight of it yeah, I, I quite liked it as well because when Mort did save her, it really annoyed me, and I thought there's got to be consequences to this. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just like, exactly. She's, everyone's yeah. okay. It's going to be rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, precisely, and I think in most stories that's what it would be, right? The hero's journey would be he works for death, but there's a beautiful girl. He will go and save the beautiful girl, and everybody will live happily ever after. And mm. um, one of the reasons I love Terry Pratchett is that he's he's better than that, and he looks at the plots and he goes. Nah, I don't think so. That's probably not what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, so, so Kelly's off to see uh, this wizard, Cutwell, um, who we've been introduced before when Mort bumped into him. And um, she, she, there's a little uh, bit where she 
arrives and the door knocker won't let her in until she says the magic word, which turns out to be please. Is uh, so a stickler for is uh, a stickler for politeness and for manners. Well, is the door? Yeah, knocker. well, particularly for a magical brass door knocker who can't talk properly because he's got a massive door knocker ring in his mouth, and who at one point <laughs> in this exchange, I think, says, and forgive me if this isn't exactly as good as it should be, but he says, "Oh yeah, creep me up. That's the way I like it." <laughs> Which is not exactly up there with kind of like uh, well-bred things to say to a princess who's knocking on a door in your vicinity, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. Dark, dark underbelly, but let's not fuck around with the use of the word please, I think. Yeah. Is what, is what his philosophy would be. So, so uh, Kelly gives a, uh, a challenge to, the, uh, to, to Cutwell, uh, which should be quite easy, because normally, you know, uh, wizards and fortune tellers try and tell the future and she says she just wants to know her present she wants to know what's actually happened to her because on the one yeah. hand everyone's wandering around her if she's, as if she's dead and on the other hand she isn't dead and <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the he, he tries a few different things one of them being uh you know tarot cards and uh mm. death keeps coming up again and again and again oh, so the diagnosis classic. is you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, that. The classic gag, they did it in Father Ted as well, where they're like, oh, there's only supposed to be one card in the pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And uh, and, and he also says, oh, yeah, death doesn't necessarily mean death. And she's she's like, is that just not just what you say to people when you want to make them feel better? And he's like, mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what she does, she because obviously the evidence before her is that she's still very much alive, even though everyone else thinks she's dead. She um, takes on Cutwell um, in the position of royal recognizer. His sole job now being <laughs> to make it clear that she isn't dead. Um, so it's sort of a, a PA for the, uh, for the for the weird world that she's in. Yeah, a PA for her very existence. I, I really yeah. like that. Well, I, yeah, because this whole th- I, there's a nice little undercurrent here, isn't there, of like of what she experiences when she realizes everybody thinks she's already dead. Yeah. Um, like. There's a there's a great line actually in it where um, uh, where he, she says something like you know she'd always thought that it belonged to her but no it was a whole world running and she just happened to be at the centre of it maybe she belonged to it but it made me think of Game of Thrones um, because uh, like because that's the whole vibe of Game of Thrones actually is that it's this kind of political machine that's running away with everybody involved in it and they don't really have a choice nobody really has a choice about being involved in it. Some people are better off because of it than other people, but they're all sort of caught in this system. Um, and it's just this really interesting little sort of kind of philosophical undercurrent that you wouldn't really expect if you were just expecting a comic fantasy novel about trolls and fart gags, you know? Mm. Um, and it's just, about, it's just a bit deeper than that. Um, and yeah. then and then he takes it in this really funny direction where she has to go and hire somebody to basically walk around and go, she's the queen... She's the queen. She exists, and she's the queen. Queen standing here, still standing here, currently present in the room. She's the queen. <laughs> Moving on, still a queen. You know. Uh, but we go back to uh, to Mort now, and we're st- staying with this sort of extra bit of depth in the in the story. He's talking to Death about um, how different things happened. You know, the witch uh, turned into this uh, younger girl and then floated off when he killed her. Uh, mm. The abbot uh, got, you know, he, he has got some kind of season ticket where he keeps being reincarnated. And um, 
And Death says that is basically the reason is everyone gets what they think is coming to them. Because mm. it's more simple that way. Um, yeah. And I suppose quite comforting, um, if you, unless you think something dreadful is going to happen to you once you die. No, no, exactly, unless you've been kind of brought up in guilt, in which case it's completely monstrous. But um, but again, it's part of this worldview, isn't it, where you know you kind of, you know, you don't get what you deserve. There's no idea of what you deserve. There's just you die, and you get something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very. But again, you know, kind of a question that's begged by the setup, and he doesn't sort of shy away from it in favour of knob gags so hmm. pretty good yeah now mort backs out of confessing to death about what he did uh, mm-hmm. so um the, the the conversation actually takes a turn towards what death's planning to do with his day off which he's going to take it's obviously <laughs> i had some inspiration from from mort um yeah he's going to go fishing and um he's created his own fly because he's going to go fly fishing and yeah. he's called it Death's glory. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping you'd do it in your, your death <laughs> voice. And actually, I was going to ask you, um, do you reckon there's any scope for a rendition of uh, the, the Bing Crosby, uh, Louis Armstrong classic, Gone Fishing, in your death voice? <laughs> I don't think I know it. <laughs> oh, well, that's disappointing. See, all right, okay. All right, in that case, we're going to have to put it on as a podcast extra once I've taught it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, but that's saying I'm, I'm up for that in general. I'll All be right, up for yeah. for a wide range of karaoke classics uh, in the voice of death. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, can you imagine? Death sings "Mamma Mia," yeah. deary me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Mort, Mort then leaves. He, he covers for Isabel. Uh, it turns out that. Mort has, has sort of worked out that the person who's been leaving damp handkerchiefs in the library, don't laugh, Dave, is... Um, I, did, I didn't say a word. I'm not... I'm, I'm here and I'm mature and... Sorry. <laughs> well, it, it is uh, Isabel, uh, Death's sort of stepdaughter. And he goes for a walk in the garden with her and uh, they have this sort of exchange of sort of casual insults because they don't get on particularly well. And then she ends up saying that she, she looks 16, but she's been 16 for 35 years now because she's stopped aging um, yeah. since she joined Team Death. Um, and, and she re- <laughs> I can't imagine him ever calling it Team Death, can you? <laughs> Honestly. They've got T-shirts well, like, and everything. You're ima- so what you're saying is you're imagining Death as like a kind of cheesy motivational manager type, like, like David Brent, but seven foot tall and a skeleton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But Welcome anyway, to Team Death. I like <laughs> to think I'm an approachable boss. I don't suffer fools gladly, but my door is always open. <laughs> I'm basically just a chilled out entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent. <Anyway. laughs> um, but yeah, so, so, she, so she's been um, she's been 16 now for 35 years, and um, she reads the the books about young uh, women and their relationships as sort of romance novels and that's why she gets so emotional about them mm. so there so, and uh, Mort is given four more jobs from death and death goes fishing as we just mentioned so um, it looks like death's deciding to start palming off a few uh, palming off a few more jobs so he can enjoy a bit of much needed free time uh, and you yes. would, wouldn't you? You've been responsible for the death of all things from the start of time. Probably due a Saturday off. 
Yeah, yeah. So we we then return to Stolat, and then there's this another interesting idea here in that there's this enormous bubble, um, which is now has now been created around the the town, and it's slowly closing in. And outside of the bubble, things have gone on as they would have gone on if uh, the princess had died. So everybody sort of outside of this bubble now believes she's dead. And the bubble's slowly mm. getting smaller, so reality's coming back together again. And yeah. the, 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 the question is, what's going to happen when that bubble reaches the princess, who is supposed to be dead? Mm. So it creates a bit of tension there. Yeah. Yeah, um, um, I, it's quite an arresting image, isn't it? Because he sees mm. it, there's just this kind of bubble moving across the landscape, closing in on her kind of thing. Yeah, um, and, and we see how it how it how it sort of works firsthand when Mort returns to Stolat, and he goes into this pub, and uh, drinks a, a few pints of this thing called Scrumble, which uh, apparently is the it's a kind of it's the kind of scrumpy that uh, would would kill a mortal man. <laughs> and he doesn't even doesn't even flinch because he's changing a bit as well. Actually, uh, I have a I have something which I'd like to share here about Scumble, yeah. um, because so Terry Pratchett's from the West Country. I actually have a quote here from him about it. Right, hmm. um, I can speak with authority, having lived a short walking to get there at least, although it seemed to take longer coming back distance from a real cider house. Yeah. Point one: <laughs> You're unlikely to buy Scrumpy anywhere but from a farm or a pub in a cider area. Two. It won't fizz. It slumps in the glass and is a grey-orange kind of colour. Mm. Three. The very best scrumpy is, or at least was, made on farms where a lot of the metalwork around the press was lead. The acid apple juice on the lead gave the resultant drink a kick which lasted for the rest of your life. Goodness me. <laughs> <laughs> it, gets, it gets better. Um, Four, while a lot of the stories about stuff being put in to give it body are probably apocryphal, apparently it wasn't uncommon to put a piece of beef in the stuff to give it strength. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Imagine that. That's what that's what homebrew beer, the craft beer revolution has been missing. A massive <laughs> slab of steak whacked into the brewing container. <laughs> um, five. I certainly recall a case of a female tourist having to have an ambulance called out after two pints of scrumpy. <laughs> right. And point six. We used to drink almost a pint topped off with half an inch of lemonade. This was known as cider and gas and was popular in our part of the Mendips. Two pints was the maximum. I recall <laughs> that as we went back across the field, someone who is now a professor of medieval history fell down a disused mine shaft and carried on singing. <laughs> and you know what That's all of this tells story. me, Matt? Yeah, you and me, right, did not grow up in the West Country, and until now, I've been fine about that. And now I'm thinking, <laughs> can you imagine being a teenager in a part of the country where where scrumpy is what you drink? Yeah, <laughs> certainly develop a, you certainly develop a tolerance to other alcohols, wouldn't you? you bloody um, would, wouldn't you? Yeah, if you don't know what scrumpy is, it, it's sort of like a. Uh, like a, I don't know, a cider, but more agricultural. <laughs> well said. And we should say, actually, by the way, in the states, and this is this is a sad thing, which every every European has to learn when they first land in the states. Cider is a non-alcoholic drink. Oh, yeah. Exactly. What's the point? Honestly, honestly. Mm. 
Yeah. So, so this is not this is not non-alcoholic cider. This is kind of like super alcoholic cider. This is cider that's gone through alcoholic and has come out the other side with yeah. the power of doom. Yeah, I mean, you can get some really nice scrumpies, but they're uh, they tend to be badass. So uh, <laughs> yeah. be careful how much you drink of them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah. as as Mort's uh, having his his scrumble, the uh, this sort of bubble comes through so like the the edge of the bubble comes through the pub and little changes take place for example the uh the guy the barman's shirt color changes and suddenly everybody knows that the princess is dead um so you know this is uh this this makes mort realize that he's gonna have to go and uh, do something about this because you know things are coming to a head basically yeah yeah so, uh, so death is fishing on Cruel, which is on the edge of the world, and uh, this guy called uh, Terpsic is nearby and gets distracted by sort of what what death's up to, and he actually nearly he falls in Terpsic and nearly drowns because this sort of fish pulls him in when he's fishing, <laughs> and then he's saved by death because this yeah. this hand grabs him and pulls him out of the water, and um, and he just hears the words. For later, <laughs> as he's walking off. <laughs> and you're right; that line does work much better in in your death voice than in mine. But um, I, that little, I love that just as a little vignette of like what it's like when death goes fishing. Like this fly that he's made is like a psycho; it like pulls the line into the water and like seems to be hunting down fish six at a time, sort of thing. Yeah, and I just just love the idea of like death, you know. As a fisherman, just slowly kind of walking down to the side of the river, just, yep, yeah, just put my stuff down there, get my sandwich box out, get myself <laughs> set up there, take the hood off my fly, <laughs> and it's just like, like, like corrals all the fish in the river and brings them back. <laughs> just absolutely beautiful image. Um, yeah. I also particularly love the uh, the one one of the one of the greatest and if Terry Pratchett came up with this he's a genius um, but w- one of the one of the best most classic uh, marriage jokes of all time because um, uh, Terpsic wants to avoid his wife uh, quote to whom he'd been happily married for six months twenty years ago <laughs> yeah hey <laughs> uh. We uh, we go back to Stolat, uh, and Mort's looking for Cutwell. He wants to because obviously the first the first person you're going to try and um, approach if you've got a magical related problem is a wizard, uh, mm. but Cutwell isn't there, and he finds uh, Mort finds out that Cutwell's now with Kelly, um, sort of working with her, and he gets a bit jealous, mm. and uh, and then he goes on the hunt to find them both. Uh, goes to the goes to the castle. And he, he has quite a uh, badass moment here because the guard on the door says friend or foe and uh, Mort just says, which would you prefer? Ooh. Yeah. It's a, that's almost a Jamie Lannister line, that, isn't it? That's, that wouldn't yeah. be out of place in Game of Thrones. Which would you prefer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, when, when he gets into the, the, the throne room... Uh, Mort finds out that Cutwell already knows about what he calls the interface, which is this bubble closing in. Hmm. Um, there is, there isn't an obvious way to deal with it. Um, 
and Cutwell's trying various different. In the meantime, Cutwell's busy busy himself with trying to find different ways of reminding everybody that Kelly is still alive. Um, so his his sort of I don't know he, he his hours are taken up mostly with that. So he's not thinking too much about the bubble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to try and find out how to how to reverse this or how to at least stop it, uh, they, they need to look in a few dangerous books and. Um, some of them uh, I mean the, the, this idea is that some books are so dangerous that if you read them they'll kill you effectively and <laughs> for, for, for safety some pages are sealed shut so you need to sort yeah. of pull them open and one of these dangerous books has been written by <laughs> Albert the uh, the bloke who's sort of the you know the general butler stroke footman guy who's knocking about in the uh, in Casa Death Turns out not just to be a maker of a mean slash completely terrifying fry-up of a morning. Turns out to have been, <laughs> and like, the most powerful wizard ever as well, right, is what they end up finding out about him. Not yeah. just, like, just some old dude, but, like, this terif- like like Saruman. It's as if Saruman had decided to try and avoid death by going to work for him, sort of thing. <laughs> uh, we then go to Ankh-Morpork, where it's back on holiday... And death is still living what? it up. What? 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 Was that just? Did you just? M- Madonna. Madonna yeah, yeah. is is the soundtrack you're imagining for death having a bit oh, of a break. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, the, the death's with a. It's this sort of big festival, and uh, basically there's a lord which is trying to explain the concept of fun to death, which is <laughs> to, to, to nick a quote from to, from uh, the thick of it. It's like trying to. You know, get the get a dog to understand the concept of Norway. It's just <laughs> never going to happen, is it? <laughs> oh, I love some of the lines in this bit, though. Actually, like where he's just like explaining it, like exhaustively. What is fun? Well, it's doing this. Am I the fun? No, fun <laughs> is something you have. I am having fun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> listening to music, loud music in hot rooms is. Fun, <laughs> and I actually like when I when I first read this, I had a friend who objected strenuously to the idea of going out drinking as being a fun thing to do, and he almost mm. quoted this page like word for word whenever we were like, "Let's go, we go to the pub, come on, let's go and have a drink," and he'd be like, "It's not fun. They're just telling you that it's fun, but it's not really fun. It's a hot room <laughs> full of al- expensive alcohol. It's not. I was like, fuck off. We're seventeen. Let's go and have a drink." You're living a lie. <laughs> yes, but a delicious lie. <laughs> yeah. No, in well, all fairness, he made a very he, he made an excellent point on the matter. He just used death to do it, which made it slightly less impactful. <laughs> uh, we, we return to Stolat then, and uh, Kelly's got this crossbow because she's um, she's obviously concerned about what's going to happen to her. Yeah. Um, Mort tries to convince Kelly to leave. Um, I'm not sure if this would actually work anyway, uh, because if you, I think if you left a bubble, you, I don't know, bad things are going to happen. But uh, anyway, regardless, Kelly says she's not going to leave. She, her place is here, as you know, ruling as a as a um, as a queen. Mm. And um, as she says that, Cutwell shoots Mort in the back <laughs> with the crossbow. I love I love oh, this whole oh. scene. 
I love this whole scene because, like, when I first read it, I scanned it and I didn't really realise what was what it was what was happening. But so as I was reading it this time, I was a little bit more careful. And it's just brilliant because you've it's it's a proper kind of comedy sketch where you've got more and the Queen talking about all these high flown ideas of of existence and reality changing and the nature of fate. And there's just Cutwell. He's just like having seen Mort get shot when he walks into the room, just spends his entire time going, Excuse me, just gonna hang on. Yeah, no, 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 you carry on. No, don't worry about it. Picks up the arrow, walks over to the other side of the room, picks up the crossbow, and then shoots him in the back. It's just a beautiful little piece of scripting in the whole scene where, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's the. Oh, this is interesting, actually. There's a, in movie screenwriting, they call it the Pope in the Pool principle, which is. Right. If you've got people doing something necessary but boring in the foreground, have somebody in the background doing something that's quite diverting. Because the words will go in anyway. <laughs> so the idea is the idea is that if you've got two people who need to be like, so you're telling me the asteroid's going to break into the Earth tomorrow and it's the size of Texas? And you have to do like two minutes of that. Have the Pope doing lengths in the swimming pool behind them because that's all anybody's going to watch. Do you, know, do you know what this reminds me of? What? The, the Game of Thrones TV series. Whenever there's exposition, yeah. there's always someone having sex in the background. Yes! That's exactly it! It's exactly the same principle. Bloody hell, we've got to do five minutes here on the White Walkers and why they're a bad thing. Go on then, go on. Threesome. Threesome. Because <laughs> you remember that in the, in the first series, uh, very briefly, this isn't about Game yeah. of Thrones, but there's a bit where uh, Peter Baelish, his character, is, does this long monologue about his uh, his motivations and his, a bit of character background, and it's all sort of uh, deep character-building stuff. And all the time, there's a lesbian scene going on, sort of in front of him. <laughs> Just because, and you can imagine the writer saying, "There's a lot of there's a lot of monologue here. It's going to be quite boring. How can we keep it interesting?" <laughs> that is brilliant. Anyway, yeah, that is yeah. classic Pope in the pool. You're right. It is Pope in the pool. Um, we're back out. We're back out with death then, um, because obviously the person you expect to appear if someone gets shot in the back would be death. But that's not going to happen because Death is currently still in uh, Ankh-Morpork uh, trying his hand at gambling. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> he keeps winning. And there are these really rough... There is this great scene, really, where the really rough gamblers try to attack him um, and basically do him over because he keeps winning. Yeah. And let's just say it doesn't end well for them. <laughs> I like that he just kind of instantly defaults, like freezes time and then goes... Roll the dice, and like makes him roll for his life, and like just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Like somebody who's more able to shit up a mugger than a mugger himself, because he is the thing that happens at the end of the mugging. Great, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it's then it's back to Stolat, where uh, a the, it turns out the arrow has gone through Mort, because uh, Mort isn't really fully there anymore, because he's no Death's agent. Yeah. So it's um it's kind of a, a bit of a non event the sudden death of Mort because he he doesn't die, he just goes straight through the arrow goes straight through yeah. and Mort's sort of like, Right, let's uh, head off to to, to, <laughs> to try and stop this this bubble then. <laughs> that's actually now I think about it, as well as being Pope in the pool, that's classic sort of um uh commercial T V 
in the States thing where they have something really dramatic happen right before the commercial break, which is instantly resolved the moment, <laughs> yeah. the moment you come back from the adverts. So it's just like you get shot in the back. Duh! Have you ever considered refinancing your house using, uh, you know, and then three minutes of commercials and then you come back and he's just like, well, thank God it went straight through me, eh? That would have been pretty bad. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> And then we're back out to Ankh-Morpork Pork again, because we're flicking between the two here. We're going from Mort to Death, Death to Mort quite quickly. Um, Death's in a bar, and at first it seems that Death can't get drunk, the same mm. as Mort. Uh, but slowly, as the scene progresses, we realise he is actually getting quite drunk. Yeah. Um, he says that everyone hates me, um, which yeah. is really... <laughs> and he, there's this whole thing about how, because he's Death, nobody wants to really be around him. Um, Understandably, yeah, yeah. And, and and this sort of this sort of reaches a head and ends with him being gently thrown out of the bar. Now, <laughs> this sort of. Sorry, let me t- let me tell you this: I've worked as a barman <laughs> quite a lot, and I've had that exact experience. I've not yeah. had the thing where it's death, obviously, and I've not had the thing where somebody decides to drink their way through the back of the bar one bottle at a time. <sighs> Because um, that would be fairly macabre. But I've definitely had the thing where they're like, you're my best mate. You're like, that is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I'm going to come back and we're going to have a drink. <laughs> and you're all like, I'm sorry, it's 12 o'clock. But yeah, yeah, come back in a couple of hours. Yeah. Poof. Bolt door. Pull curtains. <laughs> Been in that exact Nobody place. home. Although that's yeah. not gonna that's not gonna help if uh, death yeah, decides to death. Drink. come back in. Hello. You said <laughs> to come back in a couple of hours and I see you bolted the door. You must have forgotten I was coming anyway. Pint of Smiths. <laughs> <laughs> um and th- then we uh shoot over to Casa Death again. Uh, Mort has now returned, and Mort and Isabel are looking for Albert's book. So, as you know, the um, the biography of Albert. Yeah. Um, to find out, you know, what he knows, because Albert won't help them, sort of, in general. Yeah. Uh, and they they find they've got to go down this long corridor because it's obviously the book's been written a long, long time ago. It turns out centuries ago, mm. and the book is. For Albert, I mean, we saw the book for Kelly, the princess, and it's this thin volume which hasn't got much in it at the moment because she's still very young. Albert's mm. is like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's this collection <laughs> of volumes on the top shelf. Um, so they go and take a look at that. Uh, and then we back out again. We, it's, it's, I quite like how it was so quickly moving back and forth. It keeps the sort yeah. of pace up, doesn't it? It's really um, great. There's no, no, me- no messing around. And this is quite a fun scene where it's it's very quick and it's just death on the sort of on the docks looking out over the looking out over the sea thinking <laughs> what a time to be alive it's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a time to be alive no no you're right yours is better yours is better for that <laughs> but he's he's actually suddenly realized that he's enjoying existing and being alive mm. Mm. Which is something alien to him up to now. Yeah. Uh, then we're back to his his house, uh, where the, the the old book which uh, which Isabel and uh, and Mort are looking through. Um, it, it's so old that I quite like this. Um, it's a bit of a sort of half comment on old English. It says <laughs> uh, it was it was 
it was written before they invented spelling. So, <laughs> so written strangely. I do love that. And I quite like how they, they're reading his book and they're reading that the most the most recent bit of the biography and it's about him creeping along a corridor and seeing a light (laughs) and it is Albert creeping along the corridor and seeing their light so good isn't it and this is one of the moments where if you wanted to take it in like a horror direction you could really milk that for suspense right I mean in in the hands of George R.R. Martin that would have been an entire chapter long and like soaked in tension and at the end of it there would have been a lesbian orgy and four deaths uh, but but here it's like it's just played for beautiful slapstick where like she reaches over, closes the book, and just drops it into the darkness. Yeah. <laughs> and it like twats him on the head and it's just this like ah, ah, ah kind of noise coming up from the void beneath. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> And then there's a we we, we we shoot back at, so basically Albert won't help them as well but that, that's mm. the key point to take away from this as well he's mm. not interested um, back to Wank Morpork and Death is looking for a new job he's decided he's got to he's got to do something <laughs> else um, it's not working particularly well um, and there's a bit there's there's a quite a funny bit here where he's, he's talking to some guy who I think is sort of a jobs uh, person you know he's uh, an agent who helps you find a job and yeah. um, Death says that he can walk through walls and then he tries to do it and he can't for some reason he keeps banging into it and he says he says to the guy what's that feeling when you feel really small and hot and he's like, <laughs> he's like I'm not sure it begins with an M he's like uh, embarrassing he's like oh, yeah close enough <laughs> the, obviously the word he's looking for is mortified <laughs> <laughs> I totally didn't get that. I was just like, oh, it's a, it's a, a phonetic pun, but that's even better. Mortified, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh, but this, the, the, the good thing is, um, at the end of this, uh, this little passage, Death is offered a job, but mm. we're not told what it is. But it suggests something that Death might be particularly good at. What do you what think that might be? be? Well, we find out in about a chapter, so oh, I already know. Oh. <laughs> no need. Oh, it's, it's, it's not in a chapter, though, is it, Matt? Because there's no chapters. That's a good point. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was, I was, I was wondering if you would notice that earlier on. There's like when when Mort's in the pub, Terry Pratchett does this little aside where he says, sort of, you know, Mort's changed a lot over the past few chapters, and I was expecting you to read that and just throw the book in anger across the room. <laughs> there are no fucking chapters in it. <laughs> you lie. <laughs> you lie, Pratchett. You lie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's uh, it's uh, it's all good. It's all good. I, I've, 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 sort of rec- I've, I don't know, reconciled myself to the fact that uh, there are no chapters in this. I think it's partly because I don't, I don't have to say where to read up to this time. For, for, for next week, we're going to read to the end of the book. So ah, you know, there you go. Yeah, there you go. It's not, it's not as much of a problem for me as it was <laughs> last week. If anybody listening will have seen me grapple. Uh, rather unconvincingly with trying to work out how to tell you where to read to. Anyway, um, the next uh, the next bit here uh, is a dream sequence with Mort, uh, where he he's sort of riding around with Death's massive sword, swinging it around, killing everything, including sort of exploding whole galaxies, which is just quite <laughs> epic. Yeah. Uh, and, and he wakes... 
really quite shocked with what was going on. Yeah. And uh, Death is still not there. He's still not back. And mm. it's causing a bit of concern in, in the in the sort of the in the house now because Death's never been away for this long. Mm. And um, something called the nodes need attention. Mm. And uh, what did you make of this bit? This is an, another sort of level of um, sort of job that Death needs to do, isn't it? Yeah, and I, it wasn't it wasn't terribly clear to me, but uh, it was it was a thing that, which is kind of runs throughout Terry Pratchett as well. Is he deals with sort of magic and kind of fantasy, but he actually also really loves science, and so there are bits where he'll kind of you know there's some sort of weird like fiction relationship between what goes on in Discworld and kind of physics somehow like there's a there's a, another book later on called Pyramids which is all about it's but it's got loads of stuff in it which is about geometry right and it actually makes it quite funny and so so it's I, I don't know Terry Pratchett's little kind of science undertone but but more than that I didn't I didn't really get I just kind of I have a very low threshold for kind of techno babble so I just assume whenever any character talks about needing to do something technical in order to achieve something for the plot I'm just like yeah 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 I need to it, what what I, read, do it I, just read, <laughs> I need to do the thing that you do in order to fix this and I go yeah you probably yeah. better add yeah well done yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it turns out in this case that Mort is completely lost because uh, Death's never really spoken to the to, about you know about this to him. Mm. But Isabel, up to now, generally useless and just sat, sits around <laughs> crying over biographies. By the way, um, isn't she just a great image? Before we get to the bit where she kind of changes, gets a bit of a deeper character. Up to this point, isn't she just a great image of what basically all eleven-year-old boys think girls are like? Just kind of, yeah. she's presented as being this completely like uninteresting, useless. Why on earth would you spend all of your time reading romance novels? You know, like just, just you know, the kind of the the complete impatience that like young boys, pre adolescent boys, have towards girls. Mm. That's her, and I quite like how her character gets deeper over the book as Mort gets to know her better and kind of starts yeah. to realise that actually she's got a lot more to her. Yeah. And one of the things she's got to her is that she can she can work the nodes or attend to the nodes, which are basically these various little things that you need to. It's kind of like a like you said, it's a, a complex mathematical style scientific nice. problem which you need to sort yeah. of keep keep in balance to keep the whole fabric of reality working properly. And mm. it just it just so happens that death has um has helped her, or has she's sort of watched death working on those in the past so she can do a decent job of keeping that ticking over so basically you know with mort wandering around doing the the sort of the day-to-day uh reaping of souls and um <laughs> Is- isabel looking after the, the day-to-day the day ordinary <laughs> boring reaping of souls <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, Isabel looking after the the sort of keeping the the background the I don't know the back the backroom stuff ticking over. Yeah. It looks like it is going along quite nicely without death, actually. Yeah. Um, and then we just zoom out to Ankhamore Pork uh, for this final little bit for today, where Death is working as a chef, uh, <laughs> and. And he's brilliant at it because he can because he can stop time. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's just coming out ready and perfect uh, within seconds of the waiter asking for it. Yeah, and um, you can tell from the sort of is it the singing coming from the kitchen or there's whistling or something that yeah. death is 
actually really really happy now. Yeah, yeah. It's I, quite a nice, it's quite a nice little scene, isn't it? Yeah. And at this point, I thought, were it not for the continuing situation with what's going to happen to the, uh, Kelly in uh, Stolat, you could have ended it there. You could have had <laughs> more, more taken over, and Death's just gone. He just sort of had it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm out. Gonna be I'm, a out. Sh- I'm gonna be a chef instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then, but yeah, somebody would find out, wouldn't they? And it would, it would either become like, like a total nightmare of him getting drummed out of his job, or it would become the new <laughs> hip goth hangout. <laughs> no, death himself makes these burgers. Yeah, yeah, they're really dark. <laughs> I think you should call the restaurant "Death in the Kitchen." Death in the <laughs> Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That's an all-or-nothing marketing strategy, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You'll be mortified if you miss out. <laughs> anyway. yeah. Actually, no, you said, You'll be mortified if you miss out, eh? <laughs> eh? Yes? Eh? That, that's him on the TV advert. That's him on the TV. The infomercial. <laughs> Hello, I'm Death. <laughs> <laughs> no, but even better with the sort of music behind it, the kind of dead early nineties. Hi, I'm Death. Stay with me. <laughs> Here we have the steak. <laughs> it's bloody, obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I'd buy the, it. Uh, about you, Matt? I'd go shopping there. <laughs> the cow's soul was reaped thirty-five days ago. <laughs> since, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so he, he's he's starting his new life as a chef, and this is where we're going to leave it for today. But I don't know. In terms of dramatic tension, there's still the issue to resolve in Stolat, and I suppose there's the question of. You know, is Death really going to make a go of it? Do it being a chef, or is he? You get the, surely he's going to come back at some point. So what's going to happen to bring him back? And that's really where we sort of the questions that we're left with heading into the last part of the book. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> so if you're reading along with us for next week, quite gloriously simply, all you need to do is read to the end of the book. And uh, we'll be covering the rest. We'll also be doing some reviews, uh, which uh, if you want to send your own in, just send it to sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll read your uh, your review of it out on the uh, on the podcast next week. And uh, and yes, that will be that will be our sort of rounding off of uh, Terry Pratchett's Mort. Are you looking forward to the next bit? Is, is this a, a good enough cliffhanger, really, to make you want to read the rest of this book? <laughs> yeah, because there's some good stuff coming up, but I know that because I've read it before. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's enough because clearly death isn't about to sink into domestic bliss and neither are Mort and Isabel. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. We certainly shall. Until then. Until then. Happy reading.